We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Monica Diaz, a transformational coach and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She empowers her clients to lead their careers, lives, and businesses with unprecedented positive impact. An inspirational and pragmatic leader, Monica is the award-winning author of From Intent to Impact, The Five Dualities of Diversity and Inclusion, a thought-provoking business memoir to strengthen corporate culture and business as a whole. Her diverse range of industry experience gives her valuable insights across many sectors and companies. She brings over three decades of experience as a seasoned HR and DEI executive at global blue chip and Fortune 100 companies such as Merkin Company, Microsoft, the Walt Disney Company, and Royal Caribbean Group. Monica has many awards and recognitions. She's a board member and an activist. What I appreciate most about you, Monica, is your approachability and kindness. We've known each other for years, and I'm grateful to share your wisdom with our listeners. Welcome to ROG. Thank you, Shannon. I so much appreciate the opportunity to connect with you again in this new forum to talk about how do we return on generosity and how that applies to leaders in business. So thank you for the opportunity to join your forum today. Absolutely. I'll have a link to your book and many other resources in the show notes, Intent to Impact. And I think us organizing this conversation similar to the way that you wrote your book in the three parts would be a great way to do it. So the part one of your book is called Finding Your Identity in Diversity. And one of the questions that you ask that I think is so thought-provoking is, when is the first experience when you felt different? I thought that would be a great place for us to start. Happy to talk about that, Shannon. And I think it's not only me. We, most people that I speak with have had an experience and they can relate to the fact that there was some time in their life when they felt different. That might be at different stages of their life. People can recall memories going back into when they were in grammar school or maybe when they went into college. Some others talk about experiences that make them understand that they were different when they went to the workplace. For me, there are distinctive moments that I talk about in the book when I felt different that I think are relatable to many people in business. So one of the first times in which I recall feeling different is when I was only the second female, the second woman in an executive leadership team that was mainly composed by men. Why was that important? Because I had to rethink a lot of things almost on a daily basis of how I was going to show up, the choices that I was going to make, even what I was wearing. For years and years, I was wearing pants all the time because that would help me blend in a lot better. And that is just the most simple thing that you can do when you wake up and figure out how are you going to show up that day? What are you going to say or not say? Are you going to be perceived as too soft, 
too emotional when you're connecting to people. That was part of the challenge that I faced and I knew I was different because that's not the way that leadership team used to talk. The second time I felt different is when I relocated uh, from Mm. Puerto Rico, where I am originally from, to the continental United States, to to New Jersey. My whole persona seemed to be different from others. My attire, the volume of my voice, my nail color. Everything was different about my persona, and that had a big impact on how I showed up at work every day. How did that impact you? How, how did you respond to that recognition of your difference? There were three stages, three choices that people could make, and I call it the three A's. That stands for assimilation, acculturation, okay. or affirmation. And each of those, it's really a process. It's a decision. It may be conscious or not, but it's a choice that we make every single day. Many times we see people who feel different. They acknowledge it or not, but they they do know they feel different and they choose to assimilate to their new environment. And and that means that you blend in, that you want to gain acceptance from others, but you may, Mm -hmm. in the process of getting that acceptance, may lose some of the traits that make you most unique. People may not know, for example, in my case, that I am Latina, and I may want to forget about it too. And assimilation, if I would have put it in more practical terms, is like a cocktail drink that is shaken. <laughs> you know, many ingredients are there, but you cannot really tell what is in it. It's so shaken. Acculturation, on the mm-hmm. other hand, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a combination of elements of who you are and who you want to become. You take the best of your own traits, of your own culture, and what you deem to be the best of the culture that you're learning about. This helps people to feel authentically mm-hmm. themselves as a professional, a corporate, as a leader of your team. So, so it's, a, it's a very conscious choice when you choose to acculturate. Um, and to stay on the, on the cocktail analogy, I would say it's like a cocktail drink that is stirred, right? Where the ingredients maintain the spirits, the integrity, and their flavor, but they are combining themselves. Mm. They're combining. And, and last is it's what I call the third A, which is affirmation. I got to a choice of affirmation myself. Some other people don't necessarily want to go there. But the affirmation is when your choices become absolutely conscious. They are something that you do and you can speak about because you have taken the time to think about them. It helped me to really drive my authenticity in a way that it was joyful uh, because it was important to declare to myself which would be the things of my identity that I would speak about, I would feel confident about, and I would not have to think about. I wanted to make them Mm -hmm. automatic elements of my identity, the one that shows up when I go out in the world every day. So I didn't have to spend time thinking about, do I fit? Do I not fit? These are my affirmations. Okay, I can think about Mm -hmm. a third cocktail (laughs) that it is like an affirmation. It's 
is where you see and taste the distinctive layers of a drink, like a rainbow shooter or a B-52. You see the colors on each of the layers. You create your own cocktail, right? You are your own cocktail. Uh, And just to give you an example, for me was, you know, the, the elements that I chose for my affirmations were, were also three, were my accent, the color, my expression in color, and the way in which I express myself in terms of the tone of my voice, right? I was not going to conceal my accent. I carry it with pride. And the reason that was an affirmation is, is because at some point, I was told that if I wanted to continue making progress in my career at corporate, I probably should work on my accent. So that was disheartening at the time. So it's not that I had a chip on my shoulder and I decided that I wanted to do it. I had to face it. So, so I had to make the conscious choice mm-hmm. to yeah. stick with my accent, to carry it with pride. And that was important to me because some other generations in my family have paid the price of having to make a different choice of having to blend in and assimilate. So I could now make this new choice. And I am grateful for that. I also wear color as my affirmation because it's important to me. It brings me happiness. I live my life in full color. The colors of the seats in my Jeep are red. So again, it's part of my life. I can wear more subtle ones, you know, when I choose to do it. But again, the distinctive element is there that I choose to do it. Not because I have to, because some unwritten rules or longstanding norms that you don't wear white after November in the U.S. or something like that. So I make those choices consciously. And last is expression. I had to realize that although in meetings at corporate, I can be a bit louder than others and maybe speak with my hands and people think I'm angry. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but I have to be comfortable saying that and explaining it to others so they don't misunderstand the way I am expressing myself. And I want to do that with ease. So again, there you have it. Mm-hmm. My choices of affirmation were completely conscious, and I think it, it brings great freedom for people and leaders to be able to declare their affirmations so they can truly show up authentically to everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for that. And I think it's something everyone can relate to. And I know the way you describe it in your book is around like deciding what parts of ourselves we're going to cover versus like just own and share. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I love how you're suggesting that we be really intentional about what we are affirming and, you know, deciding to share. And I'm, re- I'm remembering back to a team session that we had years ago. And you opened up the session by asking everyone to bring something that helps us to learn about them. So some people wore their favorite sports jerseys and brought pictures of their pets and children and whatever. And I remember you talked about food and dancing and you played music and you had your colors and it was just so, and you just lit up, like you literally just transcended into like a bigger, brighter version of yourself. And it was really 
gorgeous. And I felt like it, it enabled all of us to appreciate each member of the team about their authenticity, some of their heritage, like who they are. You model it well. I love that you do that. Um, and so the the first part of your book, which is around finding your identity and like you're really asking us to consider, you know, when have we felt some of these things and, you know, what did you learn from them? In this first part of your book, when you talk about finding your identity in diversity, one of the elements of it is the ethnic label dilemma. I'd love for you to share more about that, Monica, because language is powerful and meaningful. So please help us understand you know, how to be inclusive in our language. I appreciate the question, Shannon, because it can be confusing. And sometimes we make it more confusing on ourselves by not being clear on what is it that we really want, what is it that we're seeking. If the purpose is to be inclusive, I would say it's a matter of asking, right? Not making assumptions on what is the right term. There's not a right or wrong here not only with the ethnic label that we use, but for so many other things in life when we're trying to understand others. So what I would tell you is it's not intended to be confusing. It's intended to help people feel that they can relate to the concept. For Latinos, we have talked about, are we Hispanic? Are we Latinos? Are we Latinas? There's a gender thing there. And then the Latinx, okay, which is intending, the Latinx is intending to take away the gender affirmation that exists in the Spanish language. We have different words, right? If for if you're happy in English, it's happy. That's, that's, that's a general gender-neutral term. In Spanish, it would be, estoy contento male, or estoy contenta, female, depending. So it's the nature of the language. But because language is so important, and we have been trying to be very inclusive in the terminology for for our non-binary colleagues in the community, well, somebody came up with the X. Good. That is intended to be inclusive of that part of the community. But what happens is that for people who have like me, use myself as an example, for whom gender has been an issue in terms of my identity and how I show up in the world of work, I want to be a Latina because I'm not only Latin, I am a woman who happens to be Latin. That is important on how I show up. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be identified as a Latin ex. I want to be affirming to the point that we were making before, that I am a Latina because that defines who I am. Mm. So again, it might not be true to a non-binary colleague. It might not be true to a guy, but it's true to me. So as anything else in life, instead of trying to hit right or wrong, it's about as simple as, hey, go ask. What is the term that you prefer? <laughs> That's beautiful and <laughs> wonderful. I mean, it's, it's echoed in everything that you have said since I've met you, which is just be curious, be respectful, you know, learn, always be learning. And then I think that's a great segue to this second part of your book, which is where you talk about dualities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you've identified these five dualities. And again, it's from your curiosity, right? You collected these stories, 
you put your creative sensibilities on it and you thought, gosh, you know, what, what am I picking up on here? And so you turned it into these five dualities that I'd love for you to share with our listeners, just you know, maybe top line. And if you could share a little bit more on a couple of them, that would be really fun. When you go into a meeting or you go through your career, you start taking notes of things that really amaze you, of those aha moments that you say like, oh my goodness, I had an awakening. I had uh, this uh, perspective that I never thought I would have. And you start taking notes. So I'm a note taker. So I took lots of notes. And at some point, I said, hey, these things might help some other people, these aha moments that I'm having. So I started writing them in a platform that I could use and keep jotting down my awakenings like at any minute. So fast tracking, when I decided that I could write an article that became a book, I had eight years of notes. I I didn't realize it. So, you know, eight years of notes is a lot of notes. So I started looking at those notes in terms of my aha moments. It's like, what am I seeing? And I let them speak to me again. And I put it all in front of me saying, what does this all mean? Is there a logic, a pattern here? So that's where the dualities came to be. Mm -hmm. I started seeing things that were, seemed to be contradictions, but they were not. Mm -hmm. They were mindsets and behaviors that were complementary not contradicting each other. This is not a paradox. It's a duality. It's something that seems to contradict, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And we can all see ourselves in that range of mindsets and behaviors at any time. Let me give you the first one. The first duality that I found in dealing with people from around the world and trying to understand them, trying to value the differences that brought to the table was the duality of connect and learn. And that basically means that, you know, we're human beings. Connecting is what we do, right? And we start a conversation and we look for similarities. And it's like, hey, where are you from? Uh, What is your favorite sport? Uh, Where would you went to college? We're looking for similarities because the minute we find one, we keep going down that path. And we forget about things that make us different because that's how we naturally connect. And that's perfectly fine. That's good. But it is also true that we learn the most from our differences. It is what gives us those aha moments. It is what tells us like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Wow, how do you come up with that idea? So that's when we go and uncover things that we didn't have. It creates knowledge, it creates wisdom. It is our differences that create wisdom in us. It's not our similarities. Our similarities give us comfort. Our differences give us wisdom. So that's the first duality right there. The second one is the duality of think and know. What this means is that what we think about something comes from our past experiences. It's our collective understanding of how the world operates. It is what we have learned to make shortcuts in life. So like, okay, this sounds similar to what I experienced yesterday or the year, be- or the year after. So whew, this is the decision that I'm going to make. And that's fine. That's how we live and learn. But it is also true that after we progress in, in we get hired at corporate or in business, we get hired based on our expertise. 
and our ability to make decisions very quickly. We, we get paid for that. But then we hire a coach to help us slow down. And then an executive coach is going to ask us to test our assumptions about ourselves, about what we have learned. So all of a sudden, this kind of like being an expert doesn't serve us that well. And we have to turn ourselves from a know-it-all to a learn-it-all. That's where the knowing comes in. Because many times we try to make decisions, and this is the impact it has on business. We want to make decisions very quickly and make decisions and judgment about people who are different from us very quickly. Mm. And many times we are wrong. So the, the, the whole aha moment is like, we may think we know something about somebody, somebody that we're going to hire or that we want to promote or not, or that we want to our team or not, or that we're going to listen to or not. Yeah. And we we make it based for, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we make it based on assumptions and past experiences. But the knowing is when you take all those experiences and you stop for a minute, you slow down and test your assumptions. Mm -hmm. That's when we know that our present circumstance is not being evaluated just based on what we thought about Mm -hmm. somebody or a situation. We take time to move from thinking that I know somebody to knowing about that somebody. It is Mm -hmm. to evaluate your past experience based on new circumstances in the present time. Is that where unconscious bias exists, Monica? Yes, that is one of the places where unconscious biases exist. Because we are resting on what we know and it might be conscious or not. Some people say, no, I know exactly why I think that way. And sometimes people say, well, I'm not sure why I think that way, but my gut tells me. It's my gut feeling. And it's all good. That comes from our life experiences. But many times we have to, again, slow down and identify if there are biases in the way we thought about stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. We went too fast. We went too fast. Yes, for sure. Growing as an inclusive and generous leader, I think is in that it's in all of your dualities, but that's one of them is that think and know, right. To, to just recognize that you're doing the best you can with what you know, but you don't know everything. And what you know may not even be correct. I I agree. And, And when I think about generosity, I think, you know, leaders have to be generous to themselves. The responsibility is to be generous, to give yourself the latitude to open your mind. Be generous with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Don't think you know it all just because you have, you get paid to know it all. That's a choice. Mm-hmm. That is a choice. It's your mindset is your choice. It doesn't have to do anything with your paycheck. Beautiful. All right. So your third duality is risk and invest. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my favorites because it came unexpectedly. Uh, But it was, it had to be, it had to be one of the dualities because, you know, these dualities were developed in the world of business. And finance and, and accounting are the language of business, right? So we have to understand our numbers. Everybody needs to understand their numbers. Everybody has to deal with budget and prioritize accordingly. It is the language of business. So one of the things that we have all heard from financial advisors is that they tell us that 
Having a diversified portfolio is a key strategy to increase your return on investment. Have we not heard all that? Yes, absolutely. So when you're a business leader, my duality was, what is it that that is perfectly fine when we're talking about budgets, about priorities, about uh, business segments? But when we think about our human capital, not only our financial capital, all of a sudden we're not that comfortable with the concept. Why is that? So the duality, what covers is that the diversification of your team is a key strategy to increase your return on talent investment. It is not, we should not be afraid of bringing in people who challenge us, who diversify the attitudes, the mindset, the experiences that are already existing in a team, because that is mm-hmm. going to help us balance our diversified portfolio. Think about it as, again, as a finance person, as an investor in your team, in your business. Second, what is important is that the behaviors that come from somebody who is trying to minimize risk are very different from the one who is investing in the marketplace. And you know, through that, you go through that exercise of what is your risk tolerance and all those things. We have to ask ourselves the same questions when we're thinking about people, when we're thinking about our teams, the people that we bring as colleagues. How diversified is our portfolio? How diversified our human portfolio? How diversified does it need to be? And what is my risk tolerance to manage that diversification of my portfolio? Mm -hmm. That's so strong. And really an interesting way to look at it, the aha, like you're saying, of, of how is this impacting my decisions with how I organize my team, who I invest in, how I envision the future of my team, what risks am I willing to take, and really how prepared am I when I make those risks to make them welcomed? You know, like how, how am I creating an environment where I'm taking those risks and I'm setting myself up for success. I'm setting us, our organization up for success. Yeah. So somebody told me something the other day that I really linked to this concept, which is risk is motivated by fear. That's what, but investment is motivated by something different. It's motivated by faith. So do you go by fear or by faith? I believe, I, I have faith that this investment will pay off. And I know that because my investment behavior is going to be active. I'm going to be looking into that portfolio. I'm going to be looking into those bonds, looking into that stock price. I'm going to study myself. I'm going to immerse myself in action. Fear is, leads to inaction. Faith and investment and investor's mindset leads to action. And that's where we need to move. Mm, Right. And that's why I love the word invest is included in it because you're personally investing Mm -hmm. in this activity and this activism or, you know, the way in which you are trying to maximize your human capital and the experience for, for others that they belong. And I just think that motivation is a good segue to your fourth duality. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The fourth duality is is what I call pain and possibility. And what it speaks about is about the reason, the why, the purpose 
of why do we want to get into all this complication of understanding others? Uh, you know, this DNI thing, some people call it a thing still. So you may want to, for example, mitigate the pain for your organization of, let's say, legal risk, uh, disengaged employees if you're not working on inclusion, the loss of market share that is potentially there for you when you diversify your products and services to really address the needs of your diversified customers. Some people just say, hey, I don't want to go into that situation. That will be super painful for me. That uh, would give me bad reviews. So what is that we need to do? So you may come from that motivation. Or we find leaders who come from a very different motivation, which is more aspirational. Because a leader might say, I just want to leave this world in a better place than I found it. Right? It's like it's motivation can be pain mitigation or the possibilities of what we want to create. And the lesson here is like, hey, either way, just go ahead, move to action. Because we spend way too much time in my, in my perspective, in my opinion, judging people's motives or trying to convince each other that one is more valuable or worthy than the other. Oh, we should do it because this is kind of like the, for the goodness of the world. Or we should do it because it's good for market share. And we judge. We judge other people's motives. When in reality, no one acts on somebody else's motives. So I think what is important is that we move to action and acknowledge and start where we are. Whatever our motive is to move in this direction of understanding and valuing our differences, let's just mm. do it. Let's just move. Let's just be clear in our motivation to better understand and value others and let's get it going. And do you find that for most people, we have both? Like when we talk about a duality and it's more of like a scale, so it's not as much like you're either motivated by this or by this. It's more like both of these things might be part of what's encouraging you to take some action and it kind of doesn't matter, just take action. Is that in a nutshell? That's why it's a duality, not a contradiction. Because we can have (laughs) both, right? So that's what I'm saying. Hey, Uh it's not about judging if, if, you know, like, oh, you're here or there. We can be at any particular time, depending on our environment. If we find people who are very much aspirational or doing it for the advocacy of it all, that's good, but they may be talking to people who are completely business numbers poor, right? So we're not trying to, and this is a mistake that I think it, it, it moves to inaction. Instead of trying to convince mm-hmm. each other to get into action because of somebody else's motive, it's understand the motives of the other person. Because we most mm-hmm. both have it, but what is most salient in a business meeting, a succession plan discussion, the most salient motive is going to be judged by others very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And what people see right. as our motive is what they're going to judge us on. So that's the thing. We might have many motives, but the most salient ones are, that, are the ones that people are going to take to move or not to act with us. So let's stop the judging mm-hmm. and just, just start moving. Start growing. Love it. And then our last one, perform and innovate. That is, that is a fifth duality. In basically what it, what it entails is the fact that we are paid to perform, right? 
We need to be fast. We need to be smart. We need to be productive. We need to take every minute of our day and make it super efficient. We are paid in business to perform and perform well and perform better than others. But at the same time, we know companies that have been great performers, but they fail to innovate. And we share many of those examples, companies that were great in their time and they ceased to exist. Kodak, Blockbuster, Mm -hmm. so many others. So what what is it that there is to learn here? If performance is important, Mm -hmm. performance talks about speed and we want to make decisions very quickly. When we bring diverse perspective to the table, that's not going to happen at first because different perspectives, different backgrounds, different opinions bring conflict and conflict takes time to resolve. (laughs) But this is the thing. Do you want to always move with fast ideas or you want to move with your best ideas? Because conflict, that disruptive conflict is absolutely necessary to generate innovation. If not, we stay with what we have, we stay with who we are, and we do not evolve in our business, in our thinking. So the duality here is, hey, we can get to performance, but don't shy away from, oh my gosh, I went into that meeting and like we could not reach an agreement. Okay, embrace the disruption. You see, if we would have people like me who think like me, like we would way, move, move way faster. Yeah, likely in that meeting, but not in the success of your business. So that is the duality saying, are you, are you mm-hmm. shooting for immediate performance or are you going to look for the performance when you also have the ingredients to generate innovation? Mm-hmm. That is the golden grail and we want to go after it. Mm, I love that. And how amazing that you started a company where you can help people to do that. You, you can identify what are these dualities, you know, what do they already have in existence on their teams? How can they leverage that in a smarter way? How can they even be more appreciative and respectful of the diversity around the table, so to speak? So I think that's just an awesome way in which you can use your strengths and gifts. And so everyone pick up the book and learn more because Monica is just giving us the highlight reel here just for the purpose of getting our wheels in motion and thinking about you know what are some of the dualities that we're experiencing in our own work and lives and you know how can we apply what we're hearing here. So that leads me to the third part of your book which you call a call to action. You actually titled it Evolution and Revolution. And that's a great way that we close our each of our ROG episodes is where we talk about practical application from what we've heard. Um, so I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, but a note I have here underlined is give yourself latitude to open your mind. That was one of the things that you said that I want our listeners to practice, to pay attention to these dualities um, to really check yourself and your own beliefs. I also talk, like how you talked about being curious and asking people about their preferences and really continuing to learn like that, learn it all instead of know it all. But what, what would be some of the practical ways that you would talk to our listeners about what we can do? What's a, what's a call to action? I think that, first of all, it's acknowledgement that leadership is a privilege. 
You can be a leader in your company, in your business. You can be a leader in your community. You can be a leader in your family. Mm -hmm. Everybody can be a leader in their own right and in their own environment. But when you're a leader, some people, why would people follow you as a leader is because you paint the picture of what is a better option, what is a better opportunity, and you give people a certain level of comfort that you can help them figure it out. That's what a leader actually does. But it is a true privilege because when you put yourself in that position or people put you in that position of leadership, there's a big element of trust that you will not lead and let them behind. You will lead and you will allow their, their spirits to follow their bodies. Their bodies might be following you, but their spirits may have been left behind and you're not engaging them. The leader needs to have the savviness to see that, to engage. And one of the things related to this duality is that I found it's most helpful to keep in mind to create generous leaders is to be clear on who you are. That's why I started the book with identity who you are, and why you do what you do the way you do it. Have to be conscious of that. Maybe others can just go with the flow, but as a leader, you don't have that luxury of being unconscious about these decisions. Being conscious about them comes with the package, Uh, with the privilege of being a leader in whatever form or shape you are a leader. So clarity on who you are and why you do what you do the way you do it. So that's the first thing. The second one is share it with others. You don't want people to be trying to guess why you're thinking the way you're doing. Hey, how should they understand you? Uh, How is the best way to work with you? Share it with others. Share yourself with others. Don't be shy to say like they need to figure it out or I don't have the time. If they need to figure it out and you don't have the time, you might need to rethink your role as a leader. And third is leaders need to seek the opportunity to be challenged, not to be open to be challenged. Oh, I'm open to different perspectives. No, it's not about being open. As a leader, you have a responsibility to go and seek the opportunities to be challenged. People are not going to feel always comfortable to challenge you, especially if you're in a position of power. They're going to say, whatever the leader says, I'm going to do because my job is on the line. So you have to actually seek the opportunities to be challenged. Go to people and say, like, what do you think about what I just did? What do you think about uh, what I just shared? Do you have a different perspective? I really want to know. And if you have a different opinion, I would appreciate you telling me. I need that. Make yourself vulnerable in that way. Other people will appreciate it. And so will you. It's going to help you grow. It's going to give you greater wisdom and greater impact as a leader, as a generous leader. Mm, excellent. Excellent. So really, it's it's the title of your book, right? It's from Intent which is how we want to be, that we intend to be generous leaders. We intend to be inclusive. We intend to create environments where people belong. But is that the actual impact? Is that how people really feel? And how are we modeling that with that humility and vulnerability of asking for specific feedback 
And it sounds like we could be clear about who we are and why we're behaving in the way that we are. And then we could ask for feedback relative to that as, you know, my intention is to, you know, paint this picture or to set up this possibility, you know, was that the impact mm-hmm. I actually had? And if not, you know, how, what would you suggest that I modify? Just like I think that constant learning and making it a co-created um, opportunity to create these um, really high impact, inclusive teams. Exactly. Exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Monica, for being a friend and a colleague and an inspiration. I'm grateful that you wrote this book that we can share with people and that you are available as a coach and as facilitator. So thank you so much for who you are. Well, no, thank you, Shannon, because, you know, we have talked about this before, but uh, getting to this level of clarity in terms of who we are and the way we want to lead, it's not a solo journey. And you have been part of my journey and you helped me see the way, you know, like in which I could continue to shape the way I lead. And for that, I am extremely grateful. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.